Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, this morning we're going to start back, so I guess it's not starting. We're going to return uh, to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, the 32nd chapter, and um, we're calling this series Summer in the Psalms. I think the last summer that we were in the Psalms was 2021, and the summer before that was 2019, so maybe we should call this every other summer in the Psalms. Uh, But whatever you call it, if you want to catch up on some of the sermons that we have navigated already in this book, you can go to the North Roanoke podcast. You just go to your app store, put in North Roanoke, and voila, there you are. You'll find it. And so you can can catch up on some of those psalms. I think uh, the podcast started in like late 2018, so you won't find all of them, but you'll find many of the, the sermons that we've already navigated in this book. The book of Psalms is a book of poetry with 150 chapters of songs of praise, and it's subdivided into five books, and and we're still in book one. Book one spans the first 41 chapters, and it, it stresses how the Lord is with His anointed King and with His people in the midst of trouble. And the psalm we're considering today, Psalm 32, is a psalm about the, the disruption that comes to our lives when our sin keeps us from enjoying the nearness of God and the, the joy that we then find when God forgives us, all right? So the disruption of our lives when there's sin between us and God and the joy that we find in encountering God because He is a God who forgives. So this morning I want to preach to you on the subject, Blessed are the forgiven from the 32nd Psalm. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? A mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. And that, that Selah just means pause and reflect. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time... When you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, 
O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that you would allow and help this psalm to take root in our lives. God, if there's anyone here this morning who has not benefited from the truth that you are a forgiving God, God, that you forgive those who confess their sin, God, those who agree with you about their sin and and who you are, God, might today even be the day of salvation. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. In, In Psalm 1, you're like, we're not in Psalm 1, we're in Psalm 32. But, but this is important. In, in Psalm 1, we read of a man whose life is not defined by sin and scoffing at God's way, but by delight in God's instruction. In verse 1 of that psalm, the man is called blessed or happy. And in verse 3, we read that he's like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. Now, this doesn't mean that the blessed man won't face challenges and hardships and adversity, but ultimately, he will prevail through faithfulness to God because he delights in God and in obeying God's Word. And we've seen in prior sermons that this man ultimately is the ultimate God-man, that this is the Messiah, the anointed Son of God, who earned God's blessing because he did nothing wrong and then died for sins and was raised up king of Israel and king of nations. There is this one righteous man. But in this psalm, we read about people who are blessed because they are forgiven. Though they fall short of this ideal that we see in Psalm 1, there's still the opportunity for forgiveness. You see, we aren't the one man, the blessed man of Psalm 1, but praise God, Psalm 32 shows us there are many who can be righteous through forgiveness that is offered by God through this one man who kept God's law perfectly. This psalm tells us there is blessing for sinners through God's forgiveness. Are you thankful that God forgives? Where would we be without a forgiving God? So to enjoy blessing, to be blessed by God, the first thing we see in verses 1 and 2 is we must be forgiven and justified by God. We must be forgiven and justified by God. This psalm opens with a promising and profound declaration. Sins may be forgiven, leading to a state of blessing or happiness for the forgiven sinner. And my concern this morning is that that truth is so elementary, so foundational, that we can sometimes take it for granted. We can forget the wonder and the amazement of the truth that our perfectly holy God forgives sins. The assumption of this psalm is that sins are against God and they deny us the blessing of enjoying a relationship with God. Let me say that again. The assumption that underlies this entire psalm is that sins are against God And they deny us the blessing of enjoying fellowship and relationship and communion with God. And we find two different terms for wrongdoing in verse 1. The first is transgression. And the second is sin. Transgression means rebellion. It is to intentionally cross a line. It is to know where the line is and to willfully step over it. 
my sister and I used to ride around in the back of my the back seat of my dad's 1968 Bel Air station wagon and it had one of those bench seats and there was a line in the middle and my sister being three and a half years younger than me and the precious little girl of the family who could do no wrong liked to provoke her brother she would transgress the line and she did not find often a forgiving brother praise God that we have a forgiving God Adam and Eve were transgressors were they not God said don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's it and they willfully ate the very fruit they were not supposed to eat ever since then Romans 5 shows us we've been born in a state that leads to transgression we are transgressors if you don't believe me just go tell a three-year-old that they can't do something and see how that goes little transgressors everywhere The, the second word in the psalm is sin Sin means to veer off course and miss the mark, and the mark is God, ultimately. Our, our, our aim is, is the heart of God, it's the glory of God, but there's no way to hit the target of the glory of God if you are a transgressor. There's incredible news, however, in verse 1, forgiveness is available. Forgiveness conveys the idea of sin being lifted away and removed from the sinner. Which is wonderful news because as we read back in Psalm 5, verses 4 and 5, God is not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with Him. The boastful will not stand before His eyes. You hate all evildoers. We don't, we don't quote that passage very often. We want to separate the sin and the sinner, but ultimately sinner and the, sin and the sinner become the same unless the sinner is forgiven and that sin is removed from the sinner. That's the hope of forgiveness, that God can lift away the sin from the sinner, and when He does, the forgiven sinner finds blessing, the blessing of knowing and enjoying fellowship with God. Longman writes this, the blessed person is a sinner, but God does not count his sin against him. The second picture is of sin being not just forgiven, but of being covered or or concealed. When a sinner tries to conceal his own sin, the sin and its guilt and its shame and its spiritual torment remains. But when God covers a sin, He really covers it. It no longer stands between the sinner and the Almighty. When God covers a sin, Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation any longer for that man in Christ Jesus who erases sin. He is, he is free from being defined by his sinful deeds because God has taken it away from him, covering them completely, opening the door to be refreshed in the very presence of God. In verse 2, the, the blessing continues because the Lord does not count his sin against him or impute his iniquity or his guilt to the sinner. Yes, the man is guilty. Yes, the price of guilt is is death, but somehow God makes a way to treat the forgiven sinner as though he were innocent. 
And we know how this is possible, right? The, the way this is possible is through the blessed man of Psalm 1. It is possible through Jesus, the one who perfectly kept the law, the one who bore our sin and its penalty so that we could be forgiven. God can't just wave a magic wand and make sin disappear. He had to come down from heaven to earth and pay the penalty himself. Paul quotes from these very verses in Romans chapter 4 to tell us that right standing before God is a gift from God received by faith in Jesus. It is nothing that we could ever earn or deserve or be good enough to get. None of those things could ever overcome our guilt. One sin makes one guilty before a holy God and only God could come down and remove that guilt and praise God in Christ if your faith is in Him, He has. And that's the point of the last line of, of verse 2. In whose line, excuse me, in whose spirit there is no deceit. It's not just that we come to God and say, Ah, oh, God forgave my sin, everything's good, I'll just go do whatever I want to do. The idea that there's no deceit is that, that God forgives sinners who are genuinely grieved and burdened over their sin. The idea is that forgiveness and covering of sin and removal of guilt is given to sinners who are genuinely burdened by grieving God's heart and violating His good design and purposes for our lives. This is wonderful news, is it not, church? We've sinned against a God who will forgive. He will treat us, though we are guilty, as though, as though we are guiltless. So we may be blessed, how? With knowing His very presence. But to know the presence of God, we must second, understand the Lord forgives those who confess their sins. This blessing isn't just out there that just somehow comes to us by osmosis. It comes to us when we confess our sin. So after telling us, verses 1 and 2 are kind of like an introduction to the whole psalm. God forgives. There's blessing through forgiveness. Verses 3 through 5, how do we access that forgiveness? And this is how. David tells us in verse 3 of a time when he did not enjoy the blessing of fellowship with God. It was a time, do you see it in verse 3, when he kept silent. David knew why he was not enjoying fellowship with the Lord. But for a time, he said nothing about his sin. He ignored his sin. He put a barrier up between himself and God because he did not deal with his sin. But praise God, the Lord did not leave him alone. And David knew it. The Lord's hand, hand, verse 4, was heavy upon him. Do you see that in verse 4? The Lord's hand was heavy upon him. Now we know that, that physical distress and mental anguish is not always because of a particular sin or sins in our lives that we may have committed. The, the book of Job proves that, right? The story of a man born blind in John 9 proves that. Do you remember the the man born blind in John 9, the disciples of Jesus say, who sinned? Was it this guy or his parents? And what does Jesus say? It was, it was neither one of them. It wasn't their particular sins. He was born blind that the glory of God might be revealed in him. So sometimes you might be here this morning, you say, well, oh, I struggle with this or that. And it might not be some particular sin in your life. It might just be the brokenness of the world impacting you in any variety of ways 
And, and your mission in that is to glorify the Lord and delight in Him, knowing that eternity is sure and secure through Jesus, who will one day make you whole, mind, body, soul, in every respect. Right? But the Bible is clear. Unconfessed sin in the life of a, someone who knows God or, or wants to belong to God, unconfessed sin in the life of someone who longs for communion with God can graciously lead to turmoil in our lives. Do you believe that? Have you ever experienced that? The, the, one, the one who has no regard for God, they can sin and they can enjoy it. Sin for the flesh, for the person who doesn't care about God, man, this is fun, this is great. Party in life, whatever, it's wonderful. But when you begin to be aware of God and the fact that sin doesn't ultimately satisfy, you come to a place where you realize that you need God. But you can't have fellowship and communion with God while the sin remains unconfessed and stands in the way of a relationship with Him. So David, what happens? He doesn't confess his sin, at least at first. In verse 3, he tells us his bones wasted away. This was a, a total body experience of desperation. He groaned all day long. If David had not told us of his unconfessed sin, we might think that he had the Delta variant of COVID. It was not fun. Summer of 2021. For many days, I was groaning in my bed. My bones were aching. I wanted it to be gone. That's, that's kind of what David is, is describing here. He's describing an existence of misery. At the end of verse 4, we read, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Un unconfessed sin in a saint will sap his energy to the point of exhaustion. Like working in the hot summer sun and 95% humidity. I have this picture in my mind of my grandfather when he was, back when he was living. Uh, I can't remember why he was doing this, but there was a day it was particularly hot, and he was out in the front yard with a shovel, and he had to have been in his late 70s or early 80s by this time, and the sun is just baking and baking. He always wore bib overalls all the time, bib overalls all the time. But like, I'm looking at my grandfather, I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, got one shovel of dirt. And he's just exhausted. I mean, he's the picture of utter exhaustion. And, and David is saying, that's what this unconfessed sin is doing to me. This, this burden in my life is stealing my strength. And, and look at the first line of verse 4. David knows it. He knows that his state of physical and emotional anguish is not clinical depression or cancer or COVID. What is it? It is the hand of of the Lord, night and day, weighing heavy upon him. There was, there was no relief for David while his sin stood between him and the Lord. And praise God, God's heavy hand drives David to acknowledge his sin and confess his transgressions. David uncovers his iniquity and then go back to verse 1, God covered his sin. As Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Are you holding on to a sin this morning? Are you sapped of all your strength 
like high noon on a hot summer day? Did you know God forgives the one who will uncover his sin? The one who will confess it? The one who will disclose his sin to God, God will cover it and give him life in Christ. When David concludes it is better to enjoy the Lord's presence than to maintain an appearance. When he decides it would be better to behold the Lord's face than to save his own. Then the Lord forgave the iniquity of his sin. Do you see that verse 5? And the blessing of fellowship with the Lord was restored. Notice that David confessed whose sin? Whose sin did David confess? His sin. You know what we like to do? We like to confess everybody else's sin, don't we? We like to talk about society and how society is broken and it's going to you know where in a handbasket and all those people out there with all those sins out there and all that stuff out there. You can confess the sins of the world all day long and it's not going to remove the heaviness of the Lord's hand upon you. But when you get real about your sin and what God is dealing with in your life, you start to confess your brokenness. God gives freedom. God gives the blessing of being refreshed in His presence. When we pray, church, for revival, have you all ever heard of that? Praying for revival? Man, we need a revival. We do need a revival. But what is revival? Revival. Life again. Revival starts in the church. (laughs) It, It starts with the saints, those who say they know and belong To God, revive us, O Lord. What are we praying for when we pray for revival? We're we're not praying like for the people out there. Yes, we hope that it would spread to people out there, but for revival to start, it's got to start right here. Revival begins in me. It begins in you. It begins with us saying, I don't want the heavy hand of the Lord anymore. I want to be refreshed in His presence. When we pray for revival, we are praying for this. We're praying for a wave of confession leading to the true blessing of being renewed in God's presence. That's where revival starts. And confession is not necessarily, I'm not going to set up a Catholic booth here at the end of our time, right? For you to come and and tell me everything you you ever did. Confession certainly can be with our mouths. And it certainly can include saying to someone, a pastor, a a friend, a brother, your wife, hey, I'm struggling with this, I need to confess it and get it out. But confession is more than something coming from our lips, right? Confession is is about agreement. It's about agreeing with God about the seriousness of our sin and the holiness of God. It's about saying, God, I see who I really am, and I see who you really are, and I see the infinite gap between, and I have no hope, but that you would forgive me and cover my sin and not impute my guilt to me and allow me to be refreshed in your presence. One commentator says this, confession is accompanied with painful repentance and sorrow, with begging of pardon for sin and the offense and for the offense rendered to God. But confession of sin, as painful as reckoning with ourselves can be, church, it is the door to blessing. It is the door to the blessing of forgiveness and renewed fellowship with our Heavenly Father. So, verse 6, therefore, do you see the therefore in verse 6? Because confession is the door to blessing, what do we need to do? 
We need to not just understand that confession leads to forgiveness. We need to be quick to confess our sins and willingly turn from them. In verse 6, David goes from confessor from confessor to teacher. Confession is not just for David, but it is for everyone who is godly. Do you see that in verse 6? It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for your youth pastor. It's not just for your friend or your wife who's got that big sin in their life. It is for everyone who is godly. And David urges us to offer a prayer, meaning a prayer of heartfelt confession to the Lord when he may be found. Isaiah, the prophet, says something similar to the people of Israel. He says this, to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, Isaiah 55, 6. David and the prophet both warn us against delaying in confessing our sin. Why is that? Because delay might lead us to tolerate living in sin. The, the longer we linger in unbelief and a pattern of sin and push God to the side, His gracious heavy hand might be removed. As, one, as I heard one pastor put it, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. If you end up persisting in an unrepentant, unconfessed sin. And then verse 6, you end up in the rush of great waters, which symbolizes the chaos of evil. Then your prayers, sadly, most likely at that point, will not be genuine. Rather, they will be motivated by worldly sorrow for being caught up in a mess, rather than godly sorrow for making a mess of your fellowship with God. And what does it say at the end of verse 6? Those prayers will not reach him. Wow. The urgency of dealing with unconfessed sin is essential. So David, rather than hiding his sin, tells us the Lord has become, verse 7, do you see it? His hiding place. God has become a place of security and protection. Rather than trying to protect his image, Rather than trying to, to protect who people think he is, he says, I would rather have God be my hiding place and let everybody else think whatever they want to think. But if I don't have God, I don't have anything. Give me God. No matter what people think of me, God is my security. God is my hiding place. And yet, interestingly enough, what is he surrounded by? Verse 7. This is beautiful. By shouts of deliverance. So this, this one who's protecting his reputation, reputation, protecting what people think of him, finally runs to God as his security and his hiding place. And what does he find? He finds a, a company of other people who know what it's like to be forgiven, to rejoice with him in the restoration of God's presence in his life. Longman writes this. Rather than encountering trouble, the one who confesses his sin will be surrounded by songs of deliverance sung by all those whom God has forgiven. So as scary as it might be to uncover our sin, it is actually the door to forgiveness and renewed fellowship and a community who will rejoice with you in God's deliverance. And then look at verse 8. The Lord gives more than forgiveness of our sins, 
He guides our steps. In this case, David says that he will instruct God's people. He will teach them how to go or to walk in the Lord's way all while he has his eye upon them. There's this idea of attentive care to the one who is seeking to walk with the Lord. And we know that the Lord himself, when we confess our sins, we are filled with his spirit who gives us intimate fellowship with God so that he can instruct us in his way, reminding us of God's truth and leading us to glorify Christ. David is urging us, church, to be teachable rather than verse 9. You see verse 9? Stubbornly mule-headed. Those are the two options. Follow God from the heart or follow God because he keeps poking you and prodding you and that's not what God wants. God wants us to follow him from the heart. David says we've got to follow the Lord from the heart rather than be like a horse having to constantly be prodded to take the proper path. Those who are genuinely repentant, those who are genuine in their confession of sin and love for the Lord will find a God who will lead them from the heart, a God who leads them to delight in obeying His Word. We delight, of course, in a God who came down to take our sin and its penalty so we could have his righteousness. Jesus has come to be our substitute. He has paid the price of his life and he's poured out his spirit to convict us of our sin and bring us to faith and repentance and true life in God. When we confess our sins, the Lord forgives. And he also gives us a heart to follow him because we get him. So the last question is this, from verses 10 and 11. Do we believe this? You say, this has been pretty elementary. God forgives. We've got to confess our sin to access God's forgiveness. There's blessing on the other side of confession and repentance. The, the bottom line is, do you believe it? It's true. But do you believe it? Do you believe it enough to confess your sin? Do you believe it enough to hunger and thirst for righteousness? This, this psalm is, is wonderful news for sinners if we will believe the Lord and rejoice in Him. Point four. As, as Genesis 4-7 says, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for us. Do you ever feel like sin just wants to take you out? what the Bible says. It wants, to, it wants to overwhelm you. And the beginning of verse 10 anticipates the hesitation of the sinner who is considering confession and repentance and turning to the Lord. You ever been there before? Man, I know I need to give this to God. I need to turn this over, but I don't really want to because I'd really just maintain my appearance. And verse 10, how does it begin? Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Oh, you might be thinking you're living your best life now. You might think you're flying high. But David says, don't forget where sin ends. It ends in sorrow and pain and destruction. So David wants to ask us, why would you continue in a path leading to many sorrows? It's like David is saying to the sinner who has not yet confessed his sin, wake up, you sinner, snap out of it. And then he tells us, steadfast love, God's steadfast love, his unfailing commitment to his promises surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. 
rather than many sorrows, you can have the steadfast love of the Lord. So to confess your sin and know the blessing of fellowship with Him, you've got to believe that God forgives, that He covers, that He embraces the forgiven sinner with His steadfast love, and that His love and His presence are of greater worth and joy than anything else the world could offer you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that to have the presence of God is everything, and to have anything else is nothing? If you do, whatever stands between you and the Lord this morning and fellowship with Him, I would urge you to repent. As our worship team comes, to consider even this morning, maybe in the comfort of your own chair, before we stand, you would want to do business with God. Maybe you would want to come forward and say, there's a stronghold in my life. There's, there's something in my life that is competing for Christ. Whatever it is, we'd invite you to do business with God. And then I, I want to read to you verse 11. Don't miss verse 11. You say, well, that's been a pretty heavy sermon. But in verse 11, we're commanded all of us, the command is in the plural, not just one man, but every man who is righteous, every woman who is righteous and forgiven by God. Do you see it? Be glad in the Lord. Be glad. Whatever it is that's attacking you, that's assaulting you, that's competing for your allegiance to Christ, Lay it down and then find the joy that's on the other side. It's a joy of belonging to and knowing God as your deliverer, God as your healer, God as your savior, God as your provider. And then dare to do this. Dare to shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You know, there's a, there's a brand of Christianity that's pretty stoic. It's pretty regimented. But we were not made to sit on our hands. We were not made to wallow in our sorrow. We were made for joy in God. We were made for joy and gladness in God. And I, I get excited about a lot of things. I get excited when I see my children succeed. I get excited when I see others come to saving faith in Christ. I get excited occasionally in Lane Stadium, but not very often anymore. And that's a, that's a type of happiness that's a type of gladness. But it's so fleeting. There's a gladness that you were made for that is on the other side of dealing with your sin. It is on the other side of doubt. It is on the other side of unbelief. And it is only found in running to this great forgiving God who will take your guilt and give you a heart to follow Him so that you can know true joy. If you don't know this God, 
Let today be the day. God in heaven, we give you praise for the simple but profound truth that though you are holy, 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 you have made a way for us to be forgiven. God, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone within the sound of my voice in the overflow online or in this room that, is, that feels the heavy hand of the Lord against their sin, drawing them back into fellowship, God, that they would feel the liberty to confess it and move on and be glad and shout for joy in the greatness of our forgiving God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.